Welcome back, and thanks for joining me again for one last time. It is my true hope that you have learned much during these lectures. My goal for these lectures has been threefold, to show the relationship between nature and mathematics in the realm of shape, to introduce a language to study shape, and to bring us to the forefront of mathematics research. Moreover, as we have gone through these lectures, I hope you caught a glimpse of the world from a mathematician's perspective, to see how a mathematician thinks, to see which problems seem exciting and why, and to see how the problems themselves are attacked. Now, in this last lecture, instead of introducing new material, I want to look back at what we have done from a larger perspective, a greater vantage point. Now, consider what we have done in the relationship between nature and mathematics. We have struggled with issues in our world, surfaces and bubbles, mountain terrains, facial recognition software and convex hulls, robot motion planning and configuration spaces, snowflakes, coastlines and fractals. These are all objects that we can understand and that we can relate to. We've also struggled and looked at things between math and nature in the micro world. Knotted molecules, stereoisomers, fullerenes, mutations, DNA and linkages, molecular chirality, string theory, particle motions, and particle collisions. We've also seen things from the macro world as math and nature interact. The shape of the universe, curvatures and black holes, and the world of phylogenetic trees. Now, given these wonderful connections between math and nature, how do we actually solve the problems we faced? How does one solve problems related to shape in mathematics? Well, I see three things we need to remember. First, we need to be conscious of what type of equivalence we want. When you're given a problem, this is one of the first things you should understand, you should think about. Be conscious of the type of equivalence you want. We have seen several kinds of equivalence in our adventures. Congruences and similarities of classical geometry where the angles of the triangle should be the same or the, or the triangles are similar and scaled. But we've also seen these new kinds of equivalences in radical ways like scissors congruence of polygons and polyhedra. How two polygons are equal if one can be made into the other by, by cutting and rearranging. This is a new kind of equality which generalizes and extended the classical notions of old school geometry. We talked about isotopy as an equivalence, where this equivalence focused on rubber sheet geometry, where it's geometric ideas we talked about earlier with the power to stretch and pull. Now, isotopy mostly for us arose in the realm of one dimension with knots and links. We talked about equivalences in terms of homeomorphisms, which came up in the world of two dimensions. Here, not only did we have an isotopic power of stretching, but we also had the power of cutting and regluing. So you can take an object, you can cut it, you can isotope it and stretch it all you want, and then you can re-glue it the same way you had before. And in this two dimensions, we saw this notion of homeomorphism come up. We also saw a notion of homotopy, probably one of the most difficult notions which we glanced on, just hit the surface on, which focused on continuous deformations. And here, self-intersections, which were unheard of, earlier in terms of the other equivalences are now allowed. Indeed here, dimensions themselves change under this notion. And this came up mostly 
in three dimensions when we talked about loops in the fundamental group. Now, the second notion we need to keep track of, we need to think about in order to solve mathematical problems is that we must understand not a notion of equivalence alone, but a notion of our tools. We must understand the tools and the weapons we need to deal with. Now, these do not have to be complicated. Mathematics is not about building the most complicated and the most sophisticated system. Even the simplest idea can be used in a powerful and radical way when used correctly. Let's take a look at some examples we did. We talked about coloring. A simple notion such as coloring with crayons was able to distinguish knots. Remember our very first results from one of our very first lectures? We were able to tell apart the unknot and the trefoil simply by coloring. And we also used coloring in terms of a tool to measure higher dimensions. We were able to see from the perspective of a four-dimensional creature, a three-dimensional creature with a fourth-dimensional power, and we were able to express and display this power using color. And how, with color as the tool, we have the ability to walk through walls if we have this extra dimension. We can visualize it this way. We also were able to talk about tools such as adding new objects, a tool as simple as addition that we knew how to do for numbers. Now we used to add knots to create new knots. We used to add braids to create bigger, longer braids to add loops for homotopy, this new way of adding homotopy equivalent loops. In fact, from a bigger structure, we saw this generic addition as a composition map for our groups, a generic concept of addition. We also learned how to multiply. We talked about multiplying new kinds of objects, not again multiplying numbers, but we learned to multiply polyhedra. And we were able to construct four-dimensional polytopes based on the notion of multiplying pieces like polygons, triangles, and line segments that we were extremely familiar with. And we even created new manifolds based on multiplication. We created the three torus, and you can create the four torus and the five torus, taking products of circles as many times as you want, or products of spheres and circles, or products of any object in the world of configuration spaces to create new objects based on a simple concept like multiplication. Indeed, things like cutting and gluing, things we did in kindergarten, now are used to talk about taking polygons gluing them to form surfaces. In fact, every surface can be made from gluing polygons. We glued polyhedra to create manifolds. Every manifold, three manifold, can be made from gluing polyhedra. And we even performed surgery, a cutting and gluing, a simple operation on knots sitting inside three-dimensional spheres. Now third, to study shape, we must understand not just equivalence or the tools to use, but what we want to measure. Note that we cannot capture all of the complications and complexities of a shape, but only part of it. Whether this is something complicated like a cloud or simple like a ball, what is it about the ball that you want to measure? Do you want to measure its volume, its area, its shape, its size? What is it? You can't capture the entire ball-ness in one instance. We only look at parts of it. And it is this part that leads us to the powerful idea of invariance. For invariants allow us to taste a particular facet of a shape. We can't see the whole thing, but invariants allow us to measure one part of it. Now, if we get a complete invariant, this is indeed powerful. For it tells us that what we are tasting is indeed all there is to taste. That is an amazing notion. Now, let's look at some extremely important invariants that have shown up throughout these lectures. Dimension. The simplest invariant the most fundamental and foundational invariant. 
then we had invariants based on numbers, like the crossing number and the unknotting number of knots. We had the linking number and the right of knots. What about polynomials? These served as algebraic invariants. In fact, the Jones polynomial was this beautiful result. We gave a powerful result as an answer to the question of trying to tell knots apart from the unknot. Indeed, formulas themselves can be invariants. And these aren't just a one number answer, but an entire formula based on numbers. For example, we had Euler's formula for spheres. And then this Euler's formula was generalized to the Euler characteristic for surfaces. And this formula was generalized by Poincaré to the Poincaré Euler characteristic for manifolds. We even had invariants as groups, abstract algebraic structures, which showed up for braids and for fundamental groups of, uh, of loops sitting inside three manifolds. Now, during these lectures, we have also encountered some amazing results in the mathematics of shape in the worlds of geometry and topology. And one of the most powerful not-invariants that we came up with, for example, was easy to compute and thus far can tell knots apart from unknots, and this is the Jones polynomial. It appears beautifully in statistical mechanics and physics. What a beautiful thing to come up with to talk about one-dimensional objects. What a powerful result. A simple thing to compute like the Jones polynomial, powerful enough thus far to tell any knot away from the unknot. Then we also had a result about topological classification of all surfaces. Up to the eyes of topology, up to homeomorphism, we can tell any surface from anything else just by three things. The genus, the orientability, and the number of boundary components. In fact, we even have a geometric understanding of surfaces. We know their topology and their geometry. Surfaces must fall in one of three classes of geometry, spherical, Euclidean, and hyperbolic, or combinations of those. But that's it, just those three. We came up with two stunning results on surfaces. The Poincaré-Hoff theorem said that the sum of the indices of the fixed points of any flow on a surface is completely determined by the topology of the surface, the geometry of the flow determined by the topology of the surface. We came up with the Gauss-Bonnet theorem, my favorite theorem in all of mathematics. The sum of the curvature of the surface at every point is completely determined by the topology of the surface. Again, small local results giving you global structure. We came up with several beautiful results about polygons and polyhedra. For example, we came up with the Bolia-Gerwin theorem. All polygons of the same area are scissors congruent. We came up with the Dane-Hadwiger theorem. It is possible that two polyhedra of the same volume might not be scissors congruent. And we came up with Cauchy's rigidity theorem. A convex polyhedron must be rigid. We even looked at the proof of this. And Bob Connolly's stunning example there actually exist flexible polyhedra. This resulted in the bellows theorem. As a polyhedron flexes, its volume remains the same. Now, a, a fundamental result in the world of point clouds was that the Delaunay triangulation and the Voronoi diagrams of the point clouds are the same. Skinny triangles are measuring exactly this notion of complexity. And we constructed all possible three manifolds. Gluing faces of polyhedra gave us three manifolds. Gluing solid genus G surfaces, Hagard splitting, gave us three manifolds. Surgery on the three sphere gave us three manifolds. And we had this notion of topology and geometry of three manifolds meet in a stunning way. The Poincaré theorem proved just recently by Perlman that the only manifold whose fundamental group is trivial is a three sphere. And the geometrization conjecture, which is most likely 
going to be shown to be officially true that the geometry of all three manifolds is what Bill Thurston says it is. We talked about packings and partitions, the honeycomb theorem proved by Thomas Hales, the hexagonal tiling is the best way to partition the plane. The Kepler conjecture, the best way to pack spheres is the grocer's method. The Weyer-Phelan structure, structure that's better than Kelvin's partition of the three sphere. And then we talked about configuration spaces and phylogenetics, worlds of higher dimensions where algebra, combinatorics, and geometry and topology meet, and a new concept of dimension in the world of fractals, relating the number of copies of an object to the magnification level. Now, throughout these lectures, there were some ideas which were not necessarily talked about for what they were, but appeared repeatedly in subtle ways. Now, I want to bring three of these points to the forefront. First is the power of visualization. Do not undervalue what can be drawn or modeled. For example, the three simple Reitermeister moves visually captured all of the moves you can possibly do in knot theory. We even have something that looks like this. Here's a, uh, a program called Circos, written by Martin Krzywinski. It is a visual way to see a phylogenetic tree genome structure. Visualization, look at how powerfully it can depict the relationships between the objects. And it, again, doesn't have to be used for just genetics, but for several objects where tree structures are needed. Again, visualization is a powerful tool. And if the first is the power of visualization, the second is the power of the global. There are numerous times where small local changes resulted in global phenomena. Such results are indeed powerful. Again, the Reitermeister moves, small changes, global phenomena. The four-color theorem. We know we can four-color objects locally in using just four colors, but globally, this turns out to be true. Connectivity of the flip graph, given points on the plane. If you look at triangulations of these points, you can flip these objects and show that these local flips, one move at a time, gives you a global connectivity of this discrete configuration space. Well, third is the power of construction. Now, many questions in math ask whether something is true, whether it exists. But to actually construct it, to build it, to show it to somebody and say, look, it does exist, it's in my hand, this is an amazing and powerful result, far more than some abstract theoretical answer that says, yes, I believe it does exist. For example, are two polygons of the same area scissors congruent? Well, yes, they are, but we were able to show this with construction. We showed exactly how to make one into the other one. Can we build an orientable surface whose boundary is a knot? Well, yes, we can. But in fact, Seifert gives us an algorithm to actually physically do this. Looking at point clouds, can we, given a collection of point clouds, find the convex hull? Theoretically, we can, but there's an algorithm, the incremental algorithm that finds it for us, the gram-scan algorithm that finds it for us. We construct these objects, triangulations of point sets by construction, Voronoi diagrams by construction. Can we obtain all surfaces? Yes, build them from gluing polygons. Can we obtain all manifolds? Yes, we can actually build them from gluing polyhedra. Do flexible polyhedra exist? Bob Connolly said yes, and he built one. Now, I encourage you to keep in mind the powers of visualization, the powers of the global, and the powers of construction. Let me now share with you my perspective as a teacher on what I have offered you and what I have not offered you in these lectures. Now, I believe mathematics comes in three stages. You learn it, you do it, and you create it. 
Now, when a mathematician is working on ideas, it is not easy to know where one begins and one ends. He's not saying, now I am learning and now I am creating. It just blends in together as a mathematician. You are trained to do this. Now, you have listened to these lectures and you have learned new ideas. You've seen new machines and tools being used to solve problems. And you understand how these machines work. But mathematics is not just learning, it is doing. See, you are not called to understand machines, but you are called to actually understand and use them. Thus, these lectures provide a platform for you to go to the next level. I encourage you to look at curvature in a new way the next time you're at a grocery store or at an auto dealership to see how cars look and are designed. I encourage you to see how the shapes around you can be classified, can be manipulated and understood using different tools that we have learned. Try to use color in a different way. Try to think of dimension in a different way for the world around you. I encourage you to go through the reading list provided with these lectures and choose a book in a topic that truly interests you. Go to the next level. Then do take out a pencil and paper and do some problems. It's not just learning, it's doing. It is using, excuse me, it is until you go through the pain of using these ideas we have learned that you can truly grasp the power of mathematics. Finally, true mathematics is not just about learning about math or even doing math, but actually creating new math. Here you are called upon to actually build new machines, not to learn about them, not to use the machines, but to build new ones yourself, to solve new tasks in the 21st century. Now, there are some lectures where I spent time in concepts that are truly advanced, and I did this to give a taste of what math research is all about. For you to start building new machines requires learning and doing first. And as you begin to work on more problems, you will start thinking about different ways to attack the problems and there's the classical methods. It doesn't matter if a new method you come up with turns out to have already been thought about hundreds of years ago. That's not the point. To consciously pursue the idea of creating mathematics is the key. Now, I want to give you a word of warning about working with exercises in textbooks because this is the natural place to go. They are great for learning and doing math, but not always great for creating it. Because most of the time, the chapter in which the exercise is found gives us 99% of the answer. The opportunity to be creative, to think of how to approach the problem itself, has been solved for you and creativity has been destroyed. So, in order to consider places where mathematics can be created, where new tools can be built, we now turn to looking at some open problems in mathematics, some that we have encountered in these lectures and others that we haven't. Let's take a look at knot theory. A huge open question in knot theory says, find a complete invariant. Well, that's pretty ambitious, but let's take a step down. We can ask this other unsolved problem. Does the Jones polynomial detect unknots? Can it tell every knot from an unknot? We think so, we don't know. How, how are the, the sums of knots related to interacting with the additions of knots in terms of crossing number and unknotting number? So if I have a knot one and a knot two, I can add them and create a new knot, the sum of the knots, but this has a crossing number and this has a crossing number. Can I add the two crossing numbers to get the crossing number of the new knot? We don't know. Is this true for the unknotting number? We don't know. Find a way to measure amphichirality, mirror images and symmetry. This is something we've struggled with. We know what a knot looks like, but its mirror image looks so close to it. Is there a, a taste, an invariant, a measurement you can have to, to taste these two objects and say, yes, they are the same or no, they're different? We don't know. 
And what about this? An even more difficult question. Find a way to distinguish mutations of knots. They look identical except for small pieces that have been mutated, rotated, and reflected. Can you tell them apart? Unsolved. What about for two-dimensional polygons? Here, a polygon is made of mirrors. Imagine this. You're living in a polygon, a room, a polygonal room, where the walls are made of mirrors. Here's a question. Can you place one candle inside the polygon at a special location so that the entire room is lit? So that every nook and cranny light is able to travel by bouncing off the mirrors. So every corner of the room is covered. We don't know if this is possible. Here's another problem. Given any whole number n, can any convex polygon be cut into n convex pieces such that all the pieces have the same area and the same perimeter? Every example we try, it seems there's, there's an example, there's a situation that it works, but we don't know why it's working. In the 21st century, we still do not understand polygons. We can put a man on the moon, we cannot understand polygons. But what about three dimensions, about manifolds and polyhedra? Here's some open problems. Find the shape of the universe. A small, ambitious problem. What about this? Classifying all three manifolds topologically. We have a beautiful classification of two-dimensional manifolds, but can we classify all three-dimensional manifolds just by topology? We don't know how to do it. How about this question we struggled with polyhedra? Can you unfold any convex polyhedra by cutting along the edges and laying it open? 500-year-old problem, unsolved. How about questions in three dimensions in computational geometry? Remember we created a chain, a linkage, and we were able to show that there were locked linkages by this knitting needle example? The question is, can you create flexible chains of equal length which lock in 3D? If all your chains have to have equal length, is it possible that you can actually make something lock now? We don't know. Is the flip graph of a three-dimensional point cloud connected? If we have a collection of points in three dimensions, not on the plane, but in three dimensions, if we connect them up to get tetrahedralizations, and we go from one tetrahedralization to another one by a flip in 3D, is this connected? Unsolved. Find a three-dimensional version of gram scan algorithm to find convex hulls. We don't know how to do this. Well, here are a few words to encourage you to take a stab at trying to solve these problems. First, it does not take professional mathematicians to do new mathematics. Mathematicians like myself have been trained along classical lines in graduate school and past graduate school to see things in a certain way. Indeed, as I get a genetic code from my parents, I get a mathematical genetic code from my advisor, both his strengths and weaknesses. Now sometimes, in certain problems, it takes a fresh way of thinking about things to attack a problem, rather than a classical trained mind where a certain genetic code has been passed along to see a problem in a certain way. The ideas about shape that we have discussed are the perfect area of mathematics to jump into. Second, don't get discouraged. The failure of things is itself knowledge. It is information you are getting about the object. Remember how the right failed for the Reitermeister 1 move? The right somehow didn't measure Reitermeister 1 move. And at the same time, the bracket polynomial also failed us for the Reitermeister 1 move, but together they produced the powerful Jones polynomial. These failures are what made us learn. Now let me give you a personal story of failure. In 2004, my students and I wrote a paper on cartography. 
It used ideas from topology, homotopy theory that we talked about. And it used ideas in computational geometry, in Voronoi diagrams. And we apply these to cartographic problems in a new way, to think about cartographic generalization. Well, it didn't belong to one particular world. The mathematician weren't, excuse me, the mathematicians weren't interested in it because it didn't focus on pure mathematics. Neither were computational geometers. We used Voronoi diagrams, but we didn't. We didn't push the boundary in the world of computational geometry with new research, nor did we make the cartographic situation applicable to cartographers. It was theoretical. And here are some of the referee comments I received from the paper that we submitted to different journals. One referee said, quote, to be honest, I cannot make heads or tails of the theory, which seems a lot more complicated than it needs to be. Here's another comment. Quote, the complete absence of anything to do with geography reveals their complete and absolute ignorance of both the discipline of cartography and the discipline of geography. Now, it turns out this paper did get published in a good journal, a place that is appropriate for it. What I want to say is if you aim at the wrong crowd, you might fail. Certain things might not work. In fact, we learned a lot from the referee's comments. Do not give up. You will fail and I will fail. This is part of the game. This is part of mathematics. You have tasted the success stories of many things during these lectures, but you've also tasted the failures, all unsolved problems about polygons and lines and linkages that we still don't know. Finally, here are words of advice from one of my favorite books, The Princess Bride by William Goldman. Quote, it says, life is pain. Anyone who says otherwise is selling something. So tough it up. Learning, doing, creating. These are not meant to be easy, but they can be fun and joyful, but it does cost you pain. Have perseverance through it. So what is the next big adventure? Now that I've given you my take on how to view mathematics and nature, let me share with you somebody else's vision. DARPA, the research division of the Defense Department of the United States, recently posted 23 mathematical challenges of the 21st century. Now this list of these 23 problems is akin to David Hilbert's list that he gave us at the International Congress of Mathematicians in 1900. And I wanna share with you some of the problems on the list to get a sample of what is indeed important to society and mathematics. And this is also a confirmation that what you have learned during these lectures is indeed at the frontier of research. Here are some of the challenges. Challenge number four. Challenge number four, the 21st century types of fluids. New methods are needed to tackle complex fluids, such as foams, suspensions, gels, and liquid crystals. They're asking, how can we understand fluids better? These ideas of foams is exactly what we talked about in terms of partitioning of space. And now we're talking about these wear fail and structure-like objects, these soap bubble-like objects mixed with chemistry. Can we bring both of these worlds together? Challenge number five, biological quantum field theory. Quantum and statistical methods have had great success modeling virus evolution. Can techniques be used to model more complex systems, such as bacteria? This is what they want to know. Can these techniques be used to control pathogen evolution? In other words, they're bringing the micro of the physics into the micro of the biology. Can these worlds come together with math as the foundational framework where they can interact? Challenge number nine the physical consequences of Thurston's geometrization theorem. Can profound theoretical advances in understanding three dimensions be actually applied to construct and manipulate structures across scales to fabricate new materials? Can we actually do things physically now that we understand 3D with geometry and topology pretty well? We don't know. Challenge number 10, 
algorithmic origami and biology build a stronger mathematical theory for isometric and rigid embedding that can give insight into protein folding. We've certainly talked about this. Challenge number 12, the mathematics of quantum computing. In the last century, we have learned how quantum phenomena of the small can shape our world. And in the coming century, we need to develop the mathematics required to control the quantum world. How can this the small used for computation? Challenge 15, the geometry of genome space. How do you talk about the notion of distance in biological utility? And challenge 20, the computation of scale. How can we develop asymptotics for a world with massively many degrees of freedom? How can we switch scales back and forth? And challenge 23, what are the foundational fundamental laws of biology? The past century has focused on Einstein, Witten, and the evolution of mathematics and physics. We've already seen topology and geometry starting to play a role in biology. But what are the foundational laws of biology itself from a mathematical viewpoint? Well, we have now come to the end of our adventures. As I close out these lectures, I want to thank you for taking time to listen to my words, and I want to thank those at the teaching company for working hard on my behalf. And I want to encourage you to not stop here with mathematics and its powerful tools to understand shape. I want you not only to continue learning math, but doing it and hopefully creating it as well. And if you can, let me know how it goes. Thank you and goodbye.